good to see you and so good to be together as the people of God. I've been privileged to stand on this platform many times. I'm so grateful for that opportunity. But it just occurred to me this morning with all of the challenges that we face to be part of not only a family, but a, a global family, an international family where there are so many uh, with their distinctives as people and yet we gather as one people before the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? It's how it's intended to be. What a wonderful model that is. So great to see you and if you're joining us um, online as well and we welcome you. It's great to have you with us. Uh, there are books available, as I always say, every time I come here, probably a little tedious repeating it, it's God's will that you buy them. So why resist? And uh, just kidding. And if you are particularly are touched by this morning's message or today's message that I'm going to share, um, Walking Backwards, Dealing with Guilt is a, a book that may help you. Uh, the latest book that I've done is called Singing in Babylon, Finding Purpose in Life's Second Choices. Last time we were here, we ran out of that. So if you'd like to get a copy of that, that's there. And then these new Bible reading notes, Life with Lucas, they come out quarterly and the April version um, is available for you. And you can also get a subscription for that as well if you'd like. Well, this brand new series, which I'm excited about, His Cross, Our Freedom. I'm so glad that we're being intentional as we walk together towards Easter, being intentional about being grateful for all that Jesus did for us uh, at the cross, but not only that, but also considering exactly how do we live our lives in the light of all that He has done. Most people just believe that Easter's about, well, Jesus died on a cross, but the implications of that are huge, they're global, they are cosmic. And so to grasp that, that's our intention as we share this series. And this weekend, the title is Justified, Free from Condemnation. So we're gonna turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter three at first, to see what the Apostle Paul had to say. Uh, that can help us. Romans 3.21 says, Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And then because of that, later in the book, the Apostle Paul is able to write in the eighth chapter to the Romans, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Jet lag um, does strange things. Kay and I just got back from snowbound uh, Colorado just a few days ago, delighted to see this most unusual phenomena in British life known as sunshine. It is a, a truly wonderful and exciting thing. We've just been back a few days, which means we're not sleeping well. Jet lag is a bit bewildering, grateful for the privilege of being able to travel. But frankly, um, when you've travelled as much as I have, which is around 3 million miles, which is why I look as old as I do, I'm only 26. When you, when you travel that much, um, you realise it's not glamorous. You sit there for nine hours with your legs wrapped round your neck, 
Um, eating food actually unrecognisable as food. You play a game, name that food. It's really not exciting. And, and jet lag can be quite bewildering. Some years ago, uh, Kay and I flew to America and we were checking into this hotel and we walked up to the reception desk behind which an eager looking nine-year-old was standing and he asked us for our names and I gave my name, which is Jeff. Jeffrey, only you get called Jeffrey when I've done something wrong, which is obviously seldom. And then uh, uh, the uh, young man turned to Kay and he said, uh, your name is Kay, is there an E on the end of your name? And my lovely wife said, yeah, there's an E on the end, it's K-A-Y-E. And I, I stood there and I thought, I, I don't want to be contradictory. I don't want to get into naming conflict. But I said, darling, I've known, each, I've known you now for many, many years. And as far as I am aware, you have never had an E. <laughs> it's a detail, I know, but you have never actually had a name, an E on the end of your name. Uh, and she nodded and smiled. I thought I was going to have to produce her passport just to prove it. For just one moment, ladies and gentlemen, my lovely wife and she's given me permission to share this story today, for which I am very grateful. She forgot who she was. She forgot her own name. Well, mildly amusing when you're checking into a hotel, but I want to suggest to us that all too often we Christians forget who we are, and we forget who we have become because of all that Jesus has done for us, not least in his finished work on the cross. And when that happens, something very serious takes place because the very idea of living in the fullness of abundant life that God has promised, the very, the very notion of living free becomes a notion a theory, a doctrine, rather than a Monday morning reality. And so when we turn to the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul sets up a courtroom scene, a metaphor to illustrate to us what Jesus has done. We have a judge sitting behind a bench in that scene, and we have a defendant in the dock. The defendant is humanity. The defendant is all of us. And as in any courtroom drama, the very first thing that happens is that the charges are read. And here are the charges. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm embarrassed to admit this, um, but there was a, an episode in my life when I had to make a courtroom appearance. And I'd like you to think that it was as a, a witness or someone being consulted for my expert advice, but actually, I'm ashamed to tell you that I was the person in the dock. Um, now, I didn't mean to do it, my lord. Some of you looking at me with mild disgust at the moment, you go, what did he do? Well, uh, there's this road that approaches Denver Airport. And here's the thing. It goes from 70 mile an hour speed limit to 50 mile an hour speed, speed limit in a very short space of time. And so I was heading towards the airport. I was somewhat late. And there was this policeman, a demon-possessed policeman, 
who was parked on a motorbike just waiting for me. It was all part of a setup, a, a global conspiracy to bring me down. And so um, I, 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 I turned off and, and he let me know that he wanted to have a little chat, a roadside conversation with me, with flashing lights and sirens and all that drama. You know, that horrible sinking feeling. And so I pull over and he says, you were 15 miles above the speed limit. And I said, I'm really sorry, mea culpa, smite my breast. I'm so terribly awful, please forgive me. He said, great, you'll have to appear in court because you were more than 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. It was awful. I put a suit on. Some of my friends came with me. They said it was for, for support. It was not, for, it was for entertainment. <laughs> they came with me and we all, all of the, the accused sat at the back of the courtroom in the sin bin. And the judge, you had a nose as long as a ski jump with, with, with glasses perched on the end. He looked at us with disdain, like scum. And one by one, we had to go up before the bench and he would... You know, they'd read the charges and then he'd say, how do you plead, guilty or not guilty? And then it was my turn and my friends nudged themselves and, and started sort of giggling. And uh, I was hoping he was going to find them contempting court. But anyway, and I went up to the, the bench and, he, and they read the charges and he forgot to ask me if I was guilty or not guilty. And everything in me wanted to say, excuse me, your honour, your lordship, your gloriousness, you haven't asked me how I plead. And, he could, and I thought, I'm not going to do that. He's a hanging judge. This will not end well. But for a moment, I stood there and I didn't know actually where I stood. Here, writing to the Romans, the Apostle Paul, he just dispels any uncertainty whatsoever when it comes to the condition of humanity and indeed for me and for you. He says, all have sinned. And he says, we've fallen short, a phrase that he uses seven times in his letters. We've fallen short of the glory of God. Paul is, he's not saying we can be a bit naughty. He's not saying we've made mistakes. He's not saying we are not capable of any goodness. He is saying we have fallen short of the glory of God. It was always intended that you and I be like Christ but we have fallen short from that standard. One commentator puts it like this. The thief, the liar, the murderer are short of God's glory, but so are we. Perhaps they all stand at the bottom of a mine and we on the crest of an alp, but we are as little able to touch the stars as they. Why do dictators declare war on innocent citizens? The answer is, all have sinned. Why is addiction such a grip in our culture? All have sinned. Why are relationships in disarray? All have sinned. Why is human trafficking such an ongoing curse? Because all have sinned. You know what this says to me, Kingsgate? It says that right now, our mission is more vital than ever because we're not just interested in adjusting the symptoms of the problem, but going to the very heart of the problem, which is sin. I am praying for Mr. Putin. I am praying that a very large angel with muscles in places where I don't have places, with a very big sword and some large Doc Martin boots will appear in his bathroom and reveal 
to him and indeed to all our leaders. All have sinned. Wouldn't it be absolutely amazing if the headline where we are so battered daily by bad news, wouldn't it be just incredible if the headline was, I've seen the light, I've repented, I've turned to Christ. Life is gonna be different from now on. But maybe we need to bring that right back down to where we live. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're tempted like I like I proclaimed before I became a Christian at the age of 17, well, I'm a good person, I do my best. That's not the point. Paul makes it clear we're all in need, all have sinned. But then secondly, the verdict is in. The verdict is in because Paul wonderfully says, and all are justified freely by his grace. In one sentence, there is a 180 degree turn And the verdict is in and Paul says to those who believe in Christ and follow him, we are justified. It's a a legal or forensic term, again, belonging to the law courts. God justifies us and declares us not guilty of our sins because of Jesus. Our Jewish friends believe that justification would take place on the last day, judgment day, But now Paul says, no, that is already in effect. And just as all have sinned, so Paul emphasises the word all again, this justification is freely available to everybody who will turn to Christ, this, this free gift. And please understand this, justification is not forgiveness or pardon. Justification is much more than that. It is not a a declaration about how we are morally. We are not perfect. We're gonna hear later in this series about sanctification, the process of change. This is about how God views us because of Christ. And now, because we are justified, it would be legally inappropriate to judge us. The verdict is in. Now, I think we struggle with that. We struggle with that because we're all so wary of anything that's free. Are you like me? You get an email from someone telling you that you've won two million pounds on the lottery and you're slightly suspicious, partly because you don't even do the lottery. I got a letter from a publishing company a couple of years ago telling me that they owed me 1,500 pounds for people who had photocopied my books in libraries around the world. I said to Kay, this is a complete scam. I was about to throw the letter away. I did some further investigation. The check is in the bank. What happened there is I become so accustomed to scam thinking that I almost missed out and tossed the letter that offered me something that was real. And I think we do that. We do that with God. As adults, we are schooled in the idea of thinking that we don't deserve a free lunch, as they put it. You say to an adult, you know, let me give you a gift. It's not Christmas. It's not your birthday. Watch them cringe. Oh, you shouldn't have. Didn't get you anything. I feel awful. Children are not like that. If I give my, one of my grandsons a Mars bar, he does not say, granddad, I am not worthy of this confectionery. I have not cleaned my room since birth. How can it be? No, 
the chocolate disappears down the pre-adolescent's throat at the speed of light. Why? Because he has a childlike attitude to a free gift. And in Christ, this is God loving, God stooping, God coming to the rescue, God giving himself generously to us and through Jesus. You see, here's the thing. We are worse than what we think we are, but we are loved more than we can imagine. Thank God. Thank God. So that means thirdly, that we are free to go. We are free to go. There is now no more condemnation because it's not just that we've been pardoned, we've been declared not guilty because Jesus took all of the charges upon himself and therefore there is no record against us. Some years ago, I went for my annual medical examination uh, and my doctor is also one of my closest friends. So all I'm saying is it gets a bit embarrassing, some of the rather insensitive comments that he makes, quite unprofessional in my view. And um, he said to me, before you leave, you just need to go down and get an x-ray. And so uh, I wandered down to the x-ray room. There's a, a couch there. There's an x-ray machine. Sitting on the couch there is a lead apron that weighed about 25 pounds. I know not what it was in kilos. And uh, it's sitting there on the bed. And there's a, a nice lady there. And she said, um, she said, you need to put this on. And I, I was a bit sort of flustered. I just wanted to get out of there, you know. So I said, um, what's it for? And she said, well, it is for the protection of the gonads. The gonads. Yeah, I said that, yeah. And I remember standing there thinking, what are they then? As indeed some of you are. Some of you are nudging. Wait, wait, what are they? I mean, I must have missed that day in CSE biology or something, but I couldn't for the life of me figure out what those were. And some of you can discuss it later. So not knowing what it was that she was referring to, she popped out for a cup of coffee, and so I picked up the apron, and being biologically sort of illiterate at that point, I put the apron around my neck instead of around my waist, which is where it actually belonged, if you get my drift. And so I put this thing around my neck, and I've now got 25 pound of lead hanging off me. And I'm standing there like this, and I began to pray that she would come back. It got so bad, I began to pray that our Lord Jesus would come back. And uh, I'm, I'm hunched over. And she walked in about three years later, actually about 10 minutes. And, and she said, she just took one look at me. I know she wanted to lie on the floor, kick her legs in the air and laugh. But she just took one look at me and she said, no, no. And do you know what I think Jesus would say to some of us? burdened down by shame, I think he would say, no. See, we need to know the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is a good thing. Without guilt, without conviction, we become an amoral society. We become sociopaths or psychopaths. Guilt is a good thing. But you see, we feel guilty for what we do, but shame makes us feel bad for what we are. Guilt is a laser-targeted emotion. This was wrong. Shame is a blanket that smothers us, that says, you are wrong, you are trash. It's a very heavy feeling, says Lewis Smedes 
It feels like a hunk of lead on our hearts. It comes as we define ourselves often by our very worst moments. And I think about parenting. I look back on my parenting. I don't think about the good days. I think about the days when I messed it up. Like when I tried to teach my daughter how to drive. Don't do that. There should be something in the book of Proverbs about that. Ride this not in thine daughter's chariot, for it will not go well with thee. Proverbs 29.4. Some of you are writing that down. I, wrote, I just made that up. But it should be there. My point being that we so easily at a trivial and sometimes at a far more tragic level. I want these, Holy Spirit, just let this thought sink in. We define ourselves by our worst moments. It can be placed on others, shame, by what they've said to us, by what they've done to us. We feel dirty and for no logical reason we feel guilty because we were victimised. It can come from a, dam a damaged conscience. A conscience is a good thing, but it's not infallible. Sometimes our conscience is programmed by negative church, actually, or by negative upbringing. Always let your conscience be your guide is not found in the scriptures. It's Jiminy Cricket to Pinocchio. And shame comes also as a weapon in spiritual warfare because Satan is named after his primary tactic, which is not temptation, it is accusation, which is why five times in the Psalms, the Psalmist names human accusers and calls them Satan's. Shame drapes itself over us when we argue with God's verdict of forgiveness. C.S. Lewis said, I think that if God forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. Otherwise, it's almost like setting up ourselves as a higher tribunal than him. So what to do? Well, we accept God's justification and indeed the forgiveness that is ours by faith. It's all by faith. If we're going to believe this, let's believe all of it. We honour God by accepting his grace. We, we don't argue with the cross. He says, it is finished. We don't say, uh, excuse me. And we wash our minds in the truth of Scripture rather than in the lies and condemnation of the accuser. Finally, back to the future. How do we respond to all of this? Will we respond to Jesus in love? Because rather beautifully, the Apostle Paul switches the metaphor from the courtroom and takes us to the person of Jesus. We are justified freely by his grace. How? Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. He's saying, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. There's a man hanging there. He's naked, not as the artist depicted him with their modesty of a loincloth. He is shamed. And the Apostle Paul asked the question, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase by no means? He's not saying we'll never sin, provision is made for that. He's saying we've got no license to sin because our response to this amazing Jesus is one of love. And our future in closing 
is glorious. Because the apostle begins by saying we've fallen short of the glory. But then also in Romans and elsewhere as well, in Philippians, in Thessalonians, he basically says in the future we are going to be glorious. Romans 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The future is glorious. So as in a moment we pray, we are able as a people to sing, death, where is your sting? He is alive. Forever he is glorified. Forever he is lifted high. For he is risen. We sing hallelujah for the lamb has overcome. In these days of fear, and I would not for a moment make light of the concerns that are shared globally at this time. But I want to suggest to us that at this moment of fear and indeed terror about the unknown, this is a moment for us as the followers of Jesus to live what we believe, which is that death itself is beaten. That there is one who has not abandoned the planet. His purposes will be fulfilled. And we stand in the place of being able to stare even at the worst possibilities and say, we will stand firm on the evil day and having done all, we will stand. What a testimony that can be to our trembling world around us. Even as we at times share our very human nervousness, nevertheless, the ground beneath our feet is firm. It's firm because it is ground where the cross has been planted. It is ground that takes us back to a tomb that has been vacated because death itself is vanquished. If you like, you can say an amen. amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're here today to not only remember the glorious work that you've done, but to live in the light of it and in the good of it. We do not want for a second your sacrifice to be wasted in our lives. We thank you for the free gift of your justification because of the work, the finished work done. For those of us, Lord, who define ourselves by our worst moments and who live with our heads down and the heavy weight of shame draped around our necks, we bring those worst moments to you. We ask you by the work of your Spirit to enable us to live in freedom from our histories. As we come in a moment, Father, to break bread, we thank you too for the opportunity that there is in this moment for those among us and those watching online 
to be able to make a decision to become a follower of Jesus. And I want to pause in this prayer and say that in a moment we're going to we're going to break bread, we're going to share communion together. How marvelous it would be if some of us as Christians took this mini drama that Jesus has given us. We needed more than words. We needed symbols to remind us. Accept His covenant love to deal with that that shames us. How marvelous it would be if you're not a Christian and you'd like to take that first step. For you to do that now and then in a few seconds time, even share in this moment as a brand new believer. You can do that just by crying out to God, asking Him to rescue you, to save you. There's no formula. What matters is that you're turning to Him, handing your life over to Him, asking Him to take charge, forgive you, lead you. Not just asking Him to bless you, to revolutionize your life as one of his followers. In your own words, you can whisper that to him. Help is available too, as you make that choice. So now, Lord, as we come to this moment, we thank you that it shouts to us loud and clear about your finished work whisper our praise, our appreciation.